You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Before we hear our scripture reading this morning, I'm going to offer a little bit of context. What you're about to hear is from what was originally a letter written by Paul, who planted many of the early Christian churches. And he was writing to a church in Philippi, which was an ancient city in what is now Greece. Philippi was once rich because there were gold mines nearby, but by Paul's day, Philippi was kind of past its glory days, and they had turned to agriculture as their main economy. However, they were also on a trade route, and they were a Roman colony, so they had some privileges that came with that. And sometimes when Paul wrote to a church, it was to settle a debate or to help them kind of get their act together, to tell them, hey, figure it out. But his letter to the Philippians was a little bit different. Many scholars think it was perhaps more focused on encouragement and kind of thanking them for what they had given to him. And maybe also just to let them know that he was okay. Because the other thing we know about this letter is that Paul wrote it from prison. So with that context in mind, we're about to hear words from an ancient letter written by Paul in prison to encourage a community of faith. Let's take a listen. Uh, I'll be reading Philippians chapter two, verses one through four. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united and agreeing with each other. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for the better of others. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Attitude of prayer. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm going to ask you a few important questions this morning, and if you agree, I'd like you to raise your hand. And those of you who are online, feel free to drop a comment on Facebook or you know, send us an email if you feel really passionate about something. So the important questions. Candy corn. It's everywhere this time of year. If you love candy corn, will you please please raise your hand? A strong showing, all right. If you cannot stand candy corn, please raise your hand. And if you are solidly neutral about candy corn, all right, a lot of you couldn't care either way. That's, That's great. How many of you are excited for pumpkin spice flavor this fall? How many of you do not like pumpkin spice flavoring? All right, quite a few of you. And again, how many of you don't really care about pumpkin spice? All right, we're pretty evenly divided this morning. I'm gonna take things up a notch. Now, how many of you are Michigan State fans? Raise your hands. No booing, you'll all get a chance. How many of you are University of Michigan fans? Some very enthusiastic fans. Anybody an Albion College fan? Okay, that's where Pastor Amy and I went to school, so, uh, yo triumphy. 
There are all kinds of things that make us different from one another, and sometimes it's really fun to dig into those things that do make us different. We like to have a spirited conversation about things like the best way to drink our coffee, or the best thing about fall, or you know, these kind of silly things. We enjoy debating with one another. But we also know that our differences can cause tension fairly quickly. And we know, I think, without me having to name them, what those deeper things are that cause divisions among us. And I would never, on a Sunday morning, ask you to raise your hand, for example, about your politics, (laughs) or your feelings on money, or your stance on divisive social issues, because that is not a good time to see one another's hands go up and not get to talk about it. That's awkward. At a family gathering, it can cause problems. And if we're not careful, these divisions among us can quickly become idols because many of these divisions cause us to get angry and they cause us to get stressed and our blood pressure shoots up and we feel very passionate and oftentimes we think we are right and that makes us even more passionate and we want to tell people about it. And occasionally that passion causes us then to vilify those people with whom we disagree as if somehow they are less human because they believe something that's fundamentally different than what we believe. Now here in this place, one of our core values as a church is that we are committed to Christ. There are plenty of things that make us different, but we share an earnest desire to follow Jesus, to try and replicate in our lives the things that he did and taught. And above anything else that may divide us, we share that common commitment. For Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, being committed to Christ means living a life in which we're connected with one another. We are united by our love for Jesus. Being in community with one another, despite those things that are different among us. Paul writes, don't do anything for selfish purposes, but With humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for the good of others. And then he goes on to say, adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. And then what he writes next, many scholars think he was quoting from a hymn or from some other source. Paul writes that Jesus did not exploit the power that he had. Because remember, this is God in human form, God incarnate. Instead, Jesus was a servant to everybody that he met. He lived and he died with humility, placing others before himself. And so I think a commitment to Christ means sharing in that sacrificial spirit, sharing in that spirit of humility, that spirit that places others before ourselves. Now, I want to be clear here. Each one of us is valued and loved and worthy. And so humility isn't about selling ourselves short or putting ourselves down or not valuing ourselves. We should feel good about who we are. We should know and trust that we're loved and valued. And we should trust that other people are loved and valued too, which seems simple when you say it out loud, but it's challenging at times to live it out. It came up all the time in Jesus' ministry. He was always doing things that made it clear that he thought of himself as equal with many people in society who others did not think of as equals. He ate with tax collectors. 
He was always talking with women who were not valued by society at the time. He was always talking with poor people. He was always hanging out with people who had diseases, which at that time, they were ostracized from society. Part of the reason people love Jesus is that he was never condescending. He met people where they were. He meets us where we are with all of our faults and our shortcomings. Jesus didn't use power or wisdom to control people. Instead, he served people. He washed feet. He offered them food. He spent his free time healing people. I had a professor in seminary named Dr. Sandra Wheeler, and she taught Christian ethics, which I thought was a fascinating class. And almost every lesson, she would lead us in a discussion of a moral or a theological issue, and she would take us through kind of the thought process of, well, here's how we might arrive here or here. Or she'd take us through classical arguments and say, well, the church thought this and then this and then this, and they had a conference, and here's where we've arrived on this issue. And almost every lesson at some point during her lecture, as she was sharing what we believe, what we think, she would say, but God help us. We may be wrong. God help us. We could be wrong. And I don't think she was trying to cast doubt on our beliefs as Christians. I don't think she was trying to cast doubt on classical Christian ethics. I think she was trying to introduce the important concept that humility is essential in our faith walk. Humility is essential in following Jesus if we want to do it right. We share a common commitment to Christ, but beyond that commitment, what that commitment means, how it gets lived out, what the other ramifications for that commitment are, we disagree on a lot of those details. And that's where it gets more challenging. Because at one point in Christian history, Christian ethicists knew for certain that the sun revolved around the earth. And Galileo was famously uh, accused of heresy for suggesting otherwise. But people knew, they knew, right? And that was about power. The church at the time was worried that uh, if there was a threat to their credibility, if there was doubt about what they had said was always understood to be true, that perhaps in some way, Jesus' power would be undermined or more likely the church's power would be undermined, and they, they didn't want that. At many other points in history, Christian ethicists have used arguments to suggest that one thing is better than another. And some of those things, some of those arguments have been quite painful. Christians in the past, across time and place, have used faith to argue that one race was superior that one gender was superior, that one sexual orientation was superior. And these supposedly Christian-based beliefs have caused a lot of pain and a lot of suffering for a lot of people. And all of them in their own way were about power. Power. And today we denounce all those claims and we repent of the fact that faith ever was or is used as a weapon against anybody. Jesus at every turn, rejected power and power players. The devil took him out into the desert for 40 days and offered him all the power in all the world and Jesus said, no thanks, I don't need that kind of power. 
Jesus preached about how the last shall be first and the first shall be last. He told a story about workers in a vineyard and how the people who showed up last to the party got the same reward as those who had been working hard all day. At every turn, he turned the power dynamics of the day on their heads and people got mad at him all the time because those in power didn't like that he was suggesting a different model for the world. And yet that's what Jesus did over and over and over again. There's no power at stake when we debate pumpkin spice or candy corn. Those are silly things. There aren't generally larger ramifications from those arguments. It's when we get into the tougher stuff, when we get into money, politics, social issues, there's potentially a lot at stake there. That is about power. It's about who's in and who's out. It's about where resources are used. It's about what's valued and what's prioritized. And the truth is humans are far from perfect. We often get it wrong. Sometimes we get it egregiously wrong. We get it really, really wrong. And so I love this idea that my ethics professor would say as part of her lessons, God help us, we may be wrong. It's a humble approach to faith that has not always been used in Christian history. And yet, humility is the central theme in Jesus' life. He was the son of God, born in a stable. His very entry into this world was one of humility. He was without sin, but he chose to be baptized by his cousin John. On the night before he died, he knelt down and he washed his friend's feet, something that only a servant would do. And then when Jesus was arrested, he certainly could have fought back. He chose not to. And many times, When Jesus was asked a question, he answered with another question. At one point, Jesus is called good teacher by somebody who meets him and he says, why Why do you call me good? We live in a world that wants answers and Jesus responds with questions and with stories. We live in a world that likes exalted icons, but here's Jesus, busy healing people by placing mud on their eyes, busy playing with children, busy speaking with women. He wasn't doing anything that society expected of him. We live in a world that places value on self, but Jesus was willing to suffer and Jesus was willing even to die for the sake of other people. That's just who Jesus was, a humble servant. And after he died, he met a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus and they're talking about everything that happened and they didn't, recognize Jesus. Do you remember this story? On the road to Emmaus, they don't know it's Jesus walking right there next to him. And Jesus could have said, oh yeah, that was me. I did that stuff. He doesn't. He just walks along with them. He's content to let them chat. And they get to the end of the road, a stopping point, and suddenly they recognize him. And they say, oh, we had no idea that we were walking alongside Jesus. That's just the kind of guy that he was. Humility is a rare quality for somebody who holds power. Now, in the wake of Queen Elizabeth's recent death, people have been telling stories about her, and uh, there's one story in particular that I think is just 
really interesting. It was told by her security guard, uh, security officer, Richard Griffin, who worked with her for more than a decade as a personal protection officer. And perhaps you've seen this story in some of the coverage. It's, it's out there, you could Google it. And so Griffin, the security guard, told the story of being with the queen at Balmoral, the residence in Scotland. And he and the queen occasionally would go for a picnic or a walk out in the countryside in, in Scotland. And one day they met a couple of American hikers who, it quickly became evident, did not recognize the queen. And so they get chatting and the American hikers tell them about their trip. And at one point uh, they turn to the queen and they say, well, do you live around here? And the queen said, well, I live in London, but I have a vacation home over the hills. And the hikers said, oh, well, how long have you been coming up here? And the queen said, well, since I was a child, so about 80 years. And the hikers said, well, if you've been coming here for that long, surely you must have met the queen. <laughs> and the security guard pipes up at this point and says, well, yes, quite regularly. And the hiker says, oh, well, what's she like? And the security guard says, well, quite cantankerous at times, but she has a great sense of humor. And before the guard knew what was happening, the hiker puts an arm around him, tosses the queen a camera, and says, will you take our picture? This man has met the queen! <laughs> and I love the idea of the queen taking a photo of these hikers with her security guard because they had met the queen. <laughs> now, luckily for these hikers, they exchanged the camera and then got a picture with the queen. And I can only imagine the reactions of friends when they got home and showed these photos. And the friends said, you know who that is, right? <laughs> now, unfortunately, you and I are not the queen and we're not. We're so far from being Jesus. And so the challenge becomes, how do we live out humility in our daily lives? We each need to, to find our own way to live this out. And we need to value ourselves and we need to value our own gifts and we need to value what we're good at and do it in a way that never presumes that we are somehow inherently better than the other people we encounter. It's a challenging task. Love yourself and love other people as if they are valued and loved the same as you because they are. Sometimes I think living out humility means taking a step back. We're a society that jumps to anger very quickly. We like to feel like we're right, particularly when we're talking about those things that we're most passionate about, those things that divide us the most. We often reach for anger. So perhaps in the week ahead, when you find yourself in that angry place because you know that you're right, Maybe it's an opportunity to take a step back and consider what could be going on in that other person's life, whether it's a member of your family or a stranger or somebody who cuts you off in traffic, just to say, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they have something going on that I don't know about. Sometimes there's really no excuse for the way another person acts. But laying that aside, sometimes people are just going through something that we don't know about. And we can't ever fully know what life looks like from somebody else's perspective. Sometimes humility looks like not needing credit 
And this is a tough one because we live in a world where often we feel like we are valued for what we are able to accomplish or to do or to contribute. And so not taking credit for something feels challenging. And yet, what would it look like to do something nice and not do it because we need acknowledgement? Not do it because we need to raise our hand and say, yeah, that was me, I did that great thing. But simply to say, I wanna do something nice and let it be out in the world. There are several times in scripture where Jesus performed miracles and then said, don't tell anybody who did this. Don't tell anybody about what just happened. Humility, I think, too, means listening. Jesus did a lot of listening. There's no way to practice humility if we aren't willing to listen to someone we disagree with. And it doesn't have to be a big debate on social issues. Sometimes those things cease being productive and you do have to just step away. It could be as simple as listening to somebody in your household as they're trying to explain something to you or share where they're coming from. It could be as something as simple as really listening to somebody in the grocery store when they're telling you how their day has been going. Paying attention. We may not all agree on candy corn or pumpkin spice or sporting events or the other more serious stuff, but we can all seek to listen to one another with authenticity. We can all seek to be vulnerable. And sometimes it doesn't end the way that we hope that it will, and sometimes it doesn't have the results that we're hoping it will. And yet part of the calling of our faith is to keep our hearts open, to humbly listen, to humbly seek relationship, even when we disagree. And to that end, sometimes humility means admitting that we've made a mistake, owning up to our shortcomings, saying, yeah, I dropped the ball, I didn't do that. Most of us mess up multiple times a day. At least I mess up multiple times a day. I hope that you do as well. And part of being humble is apologizing and admitting that we haven't done as well as we could have done. So together, may we be the kind of community that continues to seek to follow Jesus. May we be the kind of community where It's okay to say you're sorry. It's okay to admit you've made a mistake. It's okay to sit and take a time, take a moment to listen. Like the Philippians, may our commitment to Christ guide us and unite us despite those things that divide us. May we be gentle with one another because we don't always know what somebody's going through. May we be patient with one another for the same reason. And as we live our lives, may we do so with the spirit of humility. Because God help us, we could be wrong. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, Visit us at clarkstonumc.org.